or pull it up on your phone. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 today. And we're actually, we finished the series in parallels, uh, which, where we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount and uh, the parallels that we see in the book of James and then the parallels that we then see in our life. Uh, but now we're, we're kind of in a transition week. This is a, a betweener week. This is between um, that series and the next series that we're going to be in on. And you're going to hear more about it in just a few moments. But the, the thing that we try to do once a year, what I like to do, and this is kind of a goofy thing. Some people in our church hate what I'm about to do. Um, they just hate it. They're like, oh, why didn't you tell us we could stay home? They can't stand this week. But I love it. And I'm, I'm the boss. So <laughs> I get to do it. Uh, this is the one thing that, that I love to do each year is that I, I love to have a movie trailer service. And, uh, and the reason I love movie trailer services is because I love, I love movie trailers. When I go to the, how many of you enjoy seeing uh, movies in the theater? Don't like the price, but you like, okay, yeah, me too. I love that. But if I'm going to dish out that amount of change, I'm going to get every penny's worth. I want to watch the last credit rolls and I see like the union thing go up. I want to see the whole thing. And I want to make sure that I'm seeing the, the movie trailers. Now, in, in, in addition to the fact that I'm cheap and I just want to get all my money's worth that I can, I also, I really do like movie trailers because they take a two-hour movie that could stink and consolidate into a, a minute and a half that rocks. And you're watching this and you're just like, Oh, I want to see that. And, and the, the cool thing about it, though, is this, is that the, the purpose of movie trailers is for the audience to say, I can't wait for that to come out. I can't wait for that to come out at Thanksgiving or Christmas or next year. I I, I'm excited. I'm so stoked that that's on the horizon. I'm looking forward to returning here for that reason, etc. And I love... I love doing the same thing with what God's calling us to do in the year to come. Like, what are some things that, that are on the radar that, that you as the church need to know about? Now, if you're someone who, this is your church, you're here every single week, this is the perfect service for you, uh, even if you hate it, because of the fact that this is going to inform you for the things that you're like, okay, this is what, what's on the, on the horizon. Some of these things are brand new. You haven't heard of them yet, and we want you to be on the inside. Um, for others of you, uh, if this is like your first week, uh, th- this is an amazing week for you because you get a chance to see, okay, what are, what are these weirdos all about? I mean, like, seriously, I don't understand the music. I don't understand some of the way that they sit in here or, or interact or dress or whatever, uh, wear their hair, whatever. But I want to know what it is that makes them them, what, what, it, what, it, what helps them tick. And so this is going to be a key part of that. So it's going to start today, though, in what's commonly known as the Great Commission. And in the book of Matthew, Matthew records in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 and following this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But what? Some doubted. I never really noticed that part. Like, he's got all these disciples, and they're doubting, right? So does Jesus just like, just go, I can't believe you guys. Seriously, after all of that, you're doubting? What does he do? Verse 18, then Jesus came to them. He came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he finishes off by saying, and surely I am with you, even to the very end of the age. So to understand the context of what's going on here, we have to start off with the fact that we have Jesus here. This is, this is a man. Everyone understands that he's a man. Everyone sees him as a man. But the disciples are picking up on the fact that he's not just a man. 
In fact, progressively over the course of a three-year ministry time, three years, that's not even a high school education, three years, these guys are walking with Jesus day in and day out, and they're starting to pick up on the fact that he is more than a rabbi, he's more than just a great teacher, he's more than someone who draws lots of crowds, or even more than someone who could do miracles. This guy, there's something about him that, that's divine. And at Caesarea Philippi, when Peter's put on the spot by Jesus, and Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? He says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And he nails it. He, he nails the fact that this is God incarnate and we're, eat, we're eating lunch with him. We're, we're walking. We're walking with the divine. This Jesus is him. And so this, for, for all of his disciples, is like this amazing progressive reality of, whoa, okay, this is more. I mean, this is worth all the ridicule we're getting because this guy is going to be the guy. And if, if what we're seeing is a connection between what, what the prophet said about this Messiah and who this guy's actually panning out to be, if this is true, this guy's going to be the one who's going to restore Israel. He's going to take over. He's going to kick the Roman Empire to the curb, and he's going to take dominance over it. Maybe not even just Israel. Maybe the whole world. I mean, it, I mean, the, the Old Testament prophets talk about how the governments will sit on this guy's shoulder. What if that's this reality that we're actually following? If that's the reality, then, then not only is he worth all the effort, but he's going to make us right-hand men to himself. I mean, the power, can you imagine that? The context just before this passage, though, has to include the fact that Jesus dies. Jesus dies. And I don't know if you've ever had an expectation where you were, you were so hopeful about something. A relationship, a job, an opportunity, whatever. And you, were just, you had invested so much into this. And all of a sudden, it didn't meet the expectation. And you ended up in just the pit of disappointment. Now, this is the most historically low anyone could possibly have their expectations go from where they were to where they actually ended up because of the reality that Jesus was tortured and put on a cross like a common criminal in between two common criminals. And everything that they were thinking as like, were the past three years just a joke? Was, was mom right about this guy that I was wasting my time with? Or it was all the people that I spent time with that, that pushed me around about the fact that I was with this Jesus were they actually the ones that, that were correct and, and we were the ones that were wrong? Jesus dies, but that doesn't, that's not the end of the sentence. It's not the period at the end of the sentence. It's not the end of the story because what happens is Jesus actually physically beats death. He doesn't spiritually beat death. He doesn't metaphorically. Just, it's kind of a metaphor. He's, he rose from the grave because his spirit lives on in us. No, this is not like Mufasa in The Lion King where it's just like an image. This, Jesus physically beats death. Physically beats death. And, and it was important for his disciples. And I love the fact that the Bible includes people who doubt. Because like, if we didn't know that these guys doubted, we'd wonder, well, is it just a story? Is it just a myth? But these guys questioned. They touched. They wanted to make sure this was real. And Jesus wanted to let them know that. In part because it was necessary, but in part because what these 11 guys were about to undergo for the rest of their life was abuse, torture, imprisonment, death. And anyone would get off that train unless that's a reality. Unless this Jesus is more than just a good teacher, more than just a great ideology to live your life by, but instead he physically beat death. He rose again. Now, if you're the disciples, the fact that, I mean, you're standing next to him and he's here talking and stuff, and there's got to be a guy who the whole time is like, you know, that type of thing. All of a sudden, 
In comes all those expectations and hopes you used to have. He is going to do it. He's going to kick Rome out. He's going to take over the world. And we're going to be right there with him. And all those hopes and dreams come right back up to the surface. And so in Acts chapter 1, they're asking Jesus, so is, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom? Is this the time that you're going to restore Israel? Is this, we're going to be here and have front row seats to this. Are you going to do this? And he says, no. That's not for you to know when that's going to take place. In fact, I'm leaving. But I'm leaving you someone We'll be able to walk with you through this because you still have work to do on this planet. And the work that you have to do is carrying on the work that I began. Jesus physically, he dies, he physically beats death, and then he serves them that paradigm shift, which was just totally like all their expectations and hope just did one of these types of things. And they realize this following Jesus, the victorious Christ, victory in Jesus was not looked at as this triumphant thing, but instead a life of following his lead and building the kingdom that he called us to build. If we look back in that passage, we see that Jesus describes the change that he's all about. And first off, he describes the fact that he's the author of the change. He says, uh, Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's not saying, you know what? The reason that I chose the 11 of you guys, and the reason I chose all the disciples that are going to go out into the world, the reason that I did that is because you guys are just so spiritually mature. Like you guys are the sharpest tools in the shed. They weren't. Jesus called people who were incredibly astute and people who were just dense. He called people who, who were just like, they, they got it pretty quick on and people who took a long time. He called both the attractive and the ugly. He called them all. And he, as he's calling this diverse group of people, the point is not that because you guys have proven yourself in the past three years, because you guys are just at AP varsity levels of intelligence and spirituality, now I'm going to send you out into the whole world because you've qualified. They just proved themselves failures in all this. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, now I'm going to send you out. And the only saving reality of that is that he wasn't saying, I'm saying, sending you guys out on your authority and your, your track record. He says, all authority has been given, in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. Therefore transport yourself from this place to that. Go, go to this world on my authority, on my track record, on my righteousness. And the world who knows you, who remembers you in junior high, they're going to see what I'm doing in you and through you, and they're going to marvel at that. They're going to realize it's not from you. It's from me. The author of the change is Jesus. Well, the purpose of the change is to become just like Jesus. Jesus says, therefore, go and make what? Disciples. I don't like that word. I really don't like the word disciples because it's really confusing. What is a disciple? I mean, you don't, you don't go over to, like, when, if you're going out to eat at Arby's, you know, fancy. Um, you don't go over there and say, oh, I wonder, like, like, there's the boss, there's the manager, and where's the disciple? You don't say that. I mean, disciple is not something we use unless you're in church settings. And then it gets confusing even then. What makes a disciple? He's probably taken like a class. Um, he's memorized a certain amount of scripture, and he could, he could do this or this. It, it's confusing. What a disciple is, as far as the first century context, what Jesus was talking about is, is a learner. Someone who's a learner of, of, of a rabbi, of a teacher. Someone who, but it's not just an, someone who's being educated by someone. The first century rabbis were on a significant level of, of how they chose their disciples. They didn't just go, okay, let's see. All right, I'm going to take uh, someone over here. I'm going to take the person with the longest hair in this section and the person with no hair in this section. He didn't do that. It, and it, it was something where it was very deliberate. A rabbi would choose, okay, you, not you, you, you. And you, you guys come, everyone else, I'm sorry, 
But these guys, I know that they could actually end up doing what I'm doing. A rabbi would only choose a disciple who could do what he did. That that rabbi thought, after training, this person could be just like me. Which was so confusing about the people that Jesus called. Because these guys were, again, not the A-listers. They were not the cream of the crop. A lot of them were jokes. Or the people that you wanted to kick out of the social circles. And yet Jesus called them. And, and the purpose of his calling was, you're going to be close enough to me to be able to carry on the work that I did. They, they, had a, uh, they used to have an expression in the rabbis that you knew a good disciple because a, a good disciple would have the dust from the rabbi he's following's feet all over his feet. That you're walking that close. You would study, how does this guy handle the Tanakh, the Old Testament? How did this guy handle the words of the prophets? How did this guy eat his food? How did he do his sandals? How even how he would go to the restroom? They would study all of that, seriously. Down, so that every fiber of this person would be something that I could emulate. And at the end of that process, the rabbi would say, right when you're around 30 or so, the rabbi would say, okay, you're good to go and now make more disciples. Go and make disciples. And Jesus is, again, Jesus is not saying, go and make disciples of yourself. He's saying, go and make disciples of me. Because the goal is to become just like me. To have my worldview. To have my view of scripture. To have my view of the Father. To have my view of sin. To have my view of of joy and love. To have my view of outcasts. To have all of that and to emulate that as part of being a disciple. Well, the intentional effect was God's glory through world change. All of this was aiming to, to glorify God. And, and the way that he chose to do that was to make this, this group of people be a group of people that was going to impact everyone. His thing was not like, okay, so here's the deal. What I want you guys to do is stay in town forever. Stay in Israel. Just focus on, on your brothers and sisters in Judaism. And, and focus there and, and let them know the, the message. He tells them, not only am I calling a diverse group of people... From that of different scale, scales of talent and, and insight and everything else. But I'm, I'm calling you under my authority to go out and impact an even broader spectrum of people, an even broader, more diverse group of people. So that no matter what country you're from, what your ethnicity, what your background, what your issues in life, what your sin hang-ups are, what you used to be like, what you still are like, what, what, how you vote, how, how you look, All these things are secondary to the fact that I'm going to call all kinds of people. And this world is going to be changed. It's this whole concept of discipleship. If you wanted to to boil it down, Jesus talked about making disciples, seeing disciples be metamorphosized, like going through a process of transformation because of Jesus, and then for that process to be multiplied, to continue on. And so let's go ahead and unpack each one of these. And, and what does that mean for us as a church this year? First off, with, with regard to being, uh, making disciples. The truth is we have to understand we don't make disciples. I mean, we're not the one that establishes a disciple. A disciple is someone who's following their leader. Now, we could be, we could be the ambassador, but we're pointing to Jesus. And, and Jesus is communicating that, that he is the one who people are following ultimately. Below the surface, down to the roots, we're being made. Surely we're already made, but we're not done yet then what is making us? As followers of the risen Christ, his word is. We don't make our beliefs. Our beliefs make us and remake us. In other words, if we want to be someone who's making disciples, we're not just trying to figure out how to stop doing bad stuff and being more moral. Just stop doing bad stuff and, 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 and just be more like Jesus. And, and you, that's the good way to start. If you're doing some bad stuff, knock it off. Sin, don't do it. If you keep on focusing on that, then you're going to be more and more like Jesus. That's not the, the method that we see in Scripture. See, um, what we see in Scripture is, is different. We see Jesus entering into a dark world. 
And he's entering into a dark world that has points of light. I mean, things that people use as their way to navigate. Uh, things that people use as, as their way to, to get through uh, precarious situations. We still use these things. Like sometimes it's, um, it's power or it's, it's my track record at my job. For some people, it's, it's uh, the reality of um, pop power or popularity with people. But whatever it is, um, we, we fixate. Sometimes it's substances, but this is what gets us through the end of the day. And lights our way. This is our light in our life. Truth is that this is a pretty poor way to navigate through life. And so eventually people get to the point of realizing the limitations of investing your whole life into a substance or a person as, as a God. And, and we try to stop it. And we, so we try to turn it off. But then we just replace that with something else. And it becomes a new little bulb that works for a while. And then it, after a while we realize that this is not bright enough to light my way. So the key thing as far as life change is consider, concerned is not trying to figure out how do I turn out this bad bulb. The key thing, at least what we see throughout scripture and what we look at as becoming a follower of Jesus is recognizing not that that light is just bad, but that there's a greater light. That there's a light that's so bright that it outshines that light. That in comparison, this light is darkness. This light right here can actually illuminate the room. This guy named Thomas Chambers back, uh, Chalmers back in 1848 wrote this book called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And just to paraphrase what he said, he says something to the effect of we can get moral by realizing the emptiness of immorality. What does that ultimately do in our life? We often just replace the previous bad habit with a new obsession. A far more compelling reality is the person of Jesus. The clearer a view of the fullness of Jesus the more compelled we are not only to walk away from sin and rebellion, but actually live fully. If we truly see him, he becomes our new affection, which is greater than our past poisonous affections. So as someone who's becoming more and more like Jesus, it's not just focusing on how do I diminish the sin in my life more and more. It's learning more and more and having a fuller, clearer picture of who Jesus is. And the more clear a picture we see of him, the more our lives start to be made into the disciple he's calling us to. Now, as a church, what we're going to be doing is, uh, starting next week, we're going to be doing a series called Rooted. And this is, the whole purpose of this series is for us, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we want to be the type of person that is seeing him more clearly, is seeing the word of God more clearly and what his call upon our life is. And then to watch as that impacts us. So we're going to be exploring what we believe, why we believe it, and what difference does it make for the next 13 weeks, starting next week. And what we're going to be doing with this is we're going to be taking the Articles of Faith. And actually, um, we're taking a revised version that Joel Senders and uh, Jason Strode and a few others helped us revise. And to take this and actually teach through what is it that we believe as a church. And what difference does that make? Uh, so, like for example, you come here next week, you're going to get a set of notes. And at the top of the notes, it's going to have a, a section of the Articles of Faith. Next week, we're going to start with God. And so, for example, it'll have the part of our, our, our articles of faith that talk about who God is. We believe that there is but one living and true God who is spirit and nature, existing eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the creator of the universe, all creation, and supreme ruler thereof. And so for that first section, we're going to be saying, how do we know this? Okay, is that just like a fancy doctrine? Is that just a nice thing to say that Christians should believe? How do I know that's true? How do I know the aspects of that is actually biblical? And so we're going to spend time looking at that because, because if we have a right picture of who Jesus is, if we have a clear, full picture of who he is, we start to become more and more like him as a result. 
The author, uh, lyricist Rich Mullins, back in the 90s, wrote a song called Creed, where he took the Apostles' Creed and just put it to words. And he brought it back to a chorus that said, and I believe what I believe. It's what makes me what I am. I did not make it. No, it is making me. It is the very truth of God and not the invention of any man. I have no interest as a pastor to teach you a bunch of dogma and doctrine that has no bearing from Scripture, that that has no insight from from God's Word and and the impact on our life. Because then it just, just becomes just ritualistic stuff that we, we may or may not, it may or may not be helpful. But what if we built the core of who we are? We could disagree on stuff, but what if we built the core of who we are on some of the core aspects of what Scripture has to say about things like God, about the Holy Spirit, about salvation, about, the, about how he's going to wrap up death? So we're going to take 13 years, 13 years, 13 years. It's going to be a long series, Joel. We're going to take 13 years and we're going to do it, okay? But we're going to start with 13 weeks. All right, make. The next step after um, being made by what Jesus says in his scripture and how that starts to make who we are as a disciple, we see metamorphosis taking place. Metamorphosis taking place. And when I say metamorphosis, what do you think? Yeah, changing. What else? Butterfly. Pastor Jason said the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. That's... But yeah, most of us think of the thing that we saw, you know, metamorphosis is this beautiful fat little caterpillar. And the beautiful fat little caterpillar, he just chomps and chomps and chomps and eats and eats. And before you know it, what happens? That's right, he turns into a beautiful butterfly. And the butterfly's gorgeous. And this happened like, you know, it was like almost like natural. It just naturally happened where he went from, from this to that. It was unbelievable, great. And, and then Christians, we look at that and say, that's just like us. No, it's not. That is not just like us. For a couple reasons. One, um, scripture describes the metamorphosis in our life as a process. It's not this natural instantaneous thing that's just like this, like, I don't know, it just happened. I, I'm like going down a slide. It's, it's this process that we're working out with God, that he's working in us. He's empowering us to trans, be transformed. And the other thing that's a problem with it is it doesn't, it's not in the isolation. One lonely little caterpillar all of a sudden changes all by himself. We see transformation in Scripture take place in community. So it's more like this, which is kind of frightening and gross. But that, that's a, a bit more of an accurate picture. We are people that are in community being changed together. That there's not this like butterfly that's teaching everyone else that's still in the piano. That we're all in process. There's not one single one of us that's like, I've arrived. I'm finished. God's work in me is done. We're all in the process of Christ being tra- transforming us through the Holy Spirit, through God's word, to be more and more like Jesus. And this happens in community. That's metamorphosis. And so when we see transformation take place, yeah, you, you can be transformed individually, but that on a whole, there's a greater purpose. And that's the purpose of why God crafted the church. Crafts the church together for be, to be a people who come together to worship him, come together to glorify him, come together to remember the sacrifice that he made. Church was not invented because people were bored on the weekend. Or they said, well, I have no place to spend my money. Why don't I go give it in a bag when they pass it? The purpose of church was for God's people to grow together, glorifying this one true God, gathering around scripture, and watching it transform their lives. That's metamorphosis. So when we actually allow scripture to make our beliefs, this leads to metamorphosis, change. Our beliefs and affirmations aren't academic pictures hanging on the walls of our mind. They escape the confines of mere belief and explode into life change. Metamorphosis. Jesus did not intend this to be a one-time work in us, but rather an ongoing transformation. We crossed over from death to life in a moment. 
But the process of our sanctification, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus is a process. And we get a chance to see that. So next week you're, you're dropping in. And so you, we go ahead and we, we spent the time in the top section. Then we're going to get down to the metamorphosized section. We're going to say, how does this reality affect and change my everyday life? Okay, you to- told me about this truth about God. That sounds really high church. Sounds really, it makes logical sense. Good. But is it just that? Is it just a belief? Or does it change my everyday life? How does it speak into my Monday? How does it speak into my stress? How does it speak into my dreams? How does this truth about the Holy Spirit actually impact the way that I treat my spouse or my, bur- my girlfriend or boyfriend or, the- or my teacher at school? How-, how, does- how does this truth that you have about death actually impact the way that I do my taxes? How does this change me? Does this change me? And so we're going to spend time talking about the transformational realities. And that's going to be in the services and throughout this year, you're going to have opportunities to watch and step into the transformation process as well. Next week, next week is a big week. Next week, we're going to have 20 baptisms take place where you're going to get a chance to watch as people publicly showcase the fact that Jesus made them new and is making them new. That he not only transformed them going from death to life, but he's actually still transforming them to be more and more like him. That's what baptism publicizes Christ's death and our, our connection to it. Christ's life and our connection to it. And we're going to get a chance to see that. How many of you have been here on a weekend where we've had baptisms at NBC? Pretty awesome, right? Is that just because this church is just great? Because we do something cool with the water? or No, you can't manufacture that. Here's why. First off, baptism is just an awkward thing. I mean, you're getting, taking people who are perfectly clean individuals. They showered already, and you're dunking them. in front the Grown people in front of other adults? How weird is that? And yet Jesus commanded it. Why? Because this is this public declaration for a group of people that are saying, we affirm that. We affirm that. And more, more than that, the story we heard that you shared about what Christ did, that's our story too. That's my story. And there's some people who, who aren't connected yet to that story and they say, I want that story. I want that savior. I want that transformation. If you, if you missed out on uh, being a part of what's happening next week in baptism, no sweat. We've got um, a, another big baptism service in early January at Easter. We do one at uh, the retreat uh, in the summer shindig. And so there's more opportunities. But next week, man, come and be ready to celebrate. But because we believe that this transformation takes place in community, not only are we, we, we see baptisms done in community, but we also want to encourage you to jump into a real life group. Um, and, and if you don't know what that is, basically it's, it's the reality that, that you can learn from God's word in this setting, but this is not a great setting for building community, is it? You know how you know that? Because all your chairs are fa- not facing each other. You're facing up here. So it's very difficult to have community, community built here around God's word outside of just what you're registering on an individual basis. And so we think that one of the best ways that we can do community is sitting in people's living rooms and sitting God's word alongside other believers. And so next week, again, next week is a big, do not take a vacation next week. Next week is a big deal because they're out there in the hallway. There's going to be different small real life group leaders at, that are, that are going to represent their groups and you could sign up to join those groups that meet on different days during the week and you can interview them if you want I mean, you could ask them like what kind of food do you guys serve <laughs> you guys serve coffee what kind of coffee what are you guys studying this this semester what, what are you guys studying this fall 
And you could find out, and you could find a group that, that actually is going to be something that's going to connect you to God's word and to other people. And just to let you know, this is not a group for like the, the elite. Uh, a misconception about real life groups is like, man, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to look like an idiot because everyone else here probably knows their Bible really well. No, we have people who know their Bible really well, people who don't. People who have been a Christian for, for like 30, 40 years and people who are, are yet to become a Christian. And, and that this is the environment that they're trying to glean. What is this all about? So wherever you are on the spectrum of understanding and insight, make time for this. And I, um, I'll tell you right now, don't tell any other services, but if you wanted to sign up early, talk to Brent and you could sign up this week and get in before next week. But don't tell anyone I told you that. So that's this. Go ahead and make sure that you're signing up next week. Also, um, as you already heard, we wanted to provide uh, the women of the church an opportunity to be at this uh, conference, September 18th through 19th. Make sure that you sign up for this. Make sure that you register for this. This is going to be one of those key things that you see. Now, because Jesus didn't just say, okay, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys to have the right belief and the right understanding, right doctrine. Boom, go out there and just know it. Go out there and know it. Believe it. Jesus was someone who not only was teaching as he went along, but he was, he was modeling a transformed life by stepping into brokenness, stepping into hurt. And, and just as goofy as it is, as someone who's saying that, um, that all, uh, the only thing a Christian should do is just be about helping people uh, without any truth or insight, it's just equally goofy to say a Christian's just about knowing stuff. This stuff transforms us. Uh, in, in Romans 12 too, uh, Paul uses the word metamorpho, which is a pretty cool word that just means transform. That the transformation starts in our mind and it continues in our mind and then it impacts the way that we live. And part of living as a Christian is saying when there's brokenness, we see it and we step into it. Um, you've done phenomenal stuff this year so far and I wish I could take a whole bunch of time and tell you about that. But just letting you know the, the, what's happening at the last end of the year. We're a church that sends out missionaries to all across the world, and we want, it's a lot easier to be passionate to support these people if we actually know what they're doing and to have a relationship with them. So this month, we're going to give you an opportunity to see and understand who it is that we're supporting. In October, we're going to do what we've been doing the past couple years, which is to not only raise awareness of human trafficking, but figure out how can we combat this very real issue that's not a over there issue in, in Thailand or something. This is, a, this is an Illinois and a Grundy County issue. This is something that, that we need to be uh, aware of and knowing what we can do. And then in November and December, we're going to do Christmas for the kids. Uh, the, the team started this two, uh, last year, I think it was the first year they did this. Basically, this is just saying that, that times are tough for a lot of people, some people in our church. And Christmas for the, for the kids is basically saying we want to come alongside parents um, who'd like to give gifts to their kids but just can't financially in our community, in our church, and, and in our expanded community. And so when we find out, um, we have a way of finding out uh, folks from our food pantry and everything else, just how could we help? And then people just say, all right, I'll, 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 I want to help that family out. Totally anonymous, I want to help that family out. And then we get to come alongside. Christmas presents don't change lives. They don't. But when you emulate the generosity of Christ to others, that does. And so that's why we do that, stepping in for Christmas for the kids. Metamorphosis happens, but it happens in process. And and that's something that we want to see happen throughout this year. Now, not only that, but it's making disciples, seeing uh, disciples metamorphosize and change, but also seeing disciples multiply. Uh, Jesus did not intend this to be a one-time work in us, but rather an ongoing transformation that invites others along, others into the family, and others sharing in the reality of Christ and his call upon our lives. 
This is the idea that Jesus, again, not only did he not say, just keep this to yourself, but he, didn't, he said, don't keep this to yourself, but continue to make disciples. And this has been the, the Christian's call for, since that moment, to make disciples of Jesus. Not disciples of our denomination, our flavor of Christianity, but disciples of Jesus. And you're here, 2,000 years later, because those 11 and a few others took those words of Jesus seriously. You're here, look at you, you're here. You could be so many other places. A lot of really good places you could be outside of here. But you're here. And many of you, that's because you're followers of Jesus. Because somebody shared that with you. You're a disciple that has been multiplied. Now the baton is in your hand. You're the generation that is now raising up the next. You're the one who's been called to your workplace, to your family, to your block be an individual that's, that's reflecting that. And that's tough on us. I, I, I want to be completely honest. That's difficult. It's a lot easier to talk about, about the Lord in a context at church than it is when you're standing on the block. I know that. But God's called us to be that type of person who's, who's able to reflect who he is and what he's doing in our lives. Now, that's going to take place a couple of cool ways this year at our church. First off, um, we, we see for children and uh, youth, the primary disciples we feel like are our parents, but the, but the ministries that we want to see come alongside our parents are to our kindergarten through fifth grade. Right now, it's Echo. That's the ministry that takes place on Saturday night and Sunday over in the red room. Ice is uh, junior high ministry, sixth to eighth grade, and then we have 360, which is the ninth through twelfth grade ministry um, that happens on Sunday night. Right now, Pastor Nick's over Echo. Pastor J- Pastor Jason is over Ice and 360. Now, this was, has been our strategy, but the more we were realized, looking at the ministries over the years, we're realizing, like the schools in our area, that the fifth graders in Echo, they're kind of ready for a transition before fifth grade, or at fifth grade. We're also realizing that the difference between a sixth grader and an eighth grader are pretty significant. And so what we've been thinking and chewing on for the past two years or so is trying to figure out a way that we could have a ministry in between that would be to the fifth and sixth grade. That's not the cool name, that's just what, that's a placeholder. So... Fifth, sixth. So that the strategy would be something along the lines of Echo being a first through, or kindergarten through fourth grade, the fifth and sixth grade being fifth and sixth, I, seventh and eighth, and through sixty ninth through twelfth. And as we were looking at that, we said that makes sense. We, we like that, but that's going to need to be staffed. And so as, as we're in the process of us going through this, we realized what if we switched Pastor Nick over, moved him into that group of students right there, the 5th through the 8th, have Jason focus on shepherding the ninth through the 12th, and then finding a staff person for that echo, that kindergarten through 4th grade. And that's what we're currently in the process of doing, finding the best, most amazing person we can find to shepherd those kindergarten through 4th graders, and then giving those junior hires and those senior hires more focused attention on that process. So that, the 5th uh, and 6th grade uh, ministry is going to start next summer. So that's ways out, but we, we're working on that. The transition for Nick and Jason, though, we'd like to see that take place as early as January. Um, and that's really what we're aiming at. Now, this, this change is not just here on this campus, though, because it's, it's exploding out into other places. We, we also love seeing you step into going places and being a multiplier of disciples like in Haiti. Haiti... Um, this is key and important because uh, we, we're not the type of church that wants to do drive-by missions where we go into some country and be like this awesome, great American hope, woohoo, drop a bunch of resources and then bail on these people and never see them again. We want to go places where we can build relationships, where again, we're not the great American hope, but we're partnering alongside brothers and sisters in Christ in another country to build the church there. 
And so we've got two opportunities for that in December and in January. Last I heard, there's one spot left in the December one and a few in the January. So if you've yet to jump in on either of those trips, please uh, talk to Pastor Dave as soon as the service is done. And then next week, um, when you get here and you have your your notes, when we get down to the bottom, we're going to ask a question that we don't often ask. I mean, oftentimes we have, here's the message, here's the content, here's the application for you. But one thing that we don't often say is, well, how, how can you pass this on? How do you take this truth that's transforming you, that's true from Scripture, how, and that's transforming you, how do you then take it and transfer that to somebody else? But that's, that's multiplication. That's, that's raising up disciples. God's put people around you that you may not know everything, but you could teach them something. And so this is going to be a ways, practical ways, that on Tuesday and Wednesday, you could actually like pass this reality that God's transforming in you on to the next person. This is going to be an awesome year. I'm super psyched about it, in part because just when we get back to this concept of who we are in Christ, it reminds us of our, our whole reason for being a church, that we're, we're here to be real with God, real with each other, and real in the world. And, and when I'm talking about some of these things, some of these things may just totally challenge you and make you feel uncomfortable. Some of you might get stoked about this. Other people are like, oh man, I just... I don't know if I'm like that on that level yet. I, I still am kind of like just a floater. I'm still kind of just like a hoverer here at the church. And I want to just challenge you. Remember who Jesus called. Remember who Jesus called to, into his ministry. And remember that he told you that he'll never leave you in this process. This mission that he gave you is, is over your pay grade. It's over your heads. It's all, all of our heads. But he's the one who's equipping and enabling you to do it. Uh, many of you know that last week I had an opportunity to go um, uh, take a vacation with my brother Josh out to the Rockies to climb Long's Peak. Um, we were, I was pretty ignorant of the whole thing except for that Josh told me we were doing it um, and, I, and what to do to prepare for it. But to, this was a, um, a technical 14, 14er, which is a 14,229 foot peak and that we were going to summit this. And a lot of people, when they saw the pictures coming on, they were, they were like, oh, man. And some people were like, okay, you're, you're crazy and your, your wife is crazy for letting you do this. But other people were like really impressed, like, wow, that must take a lot of skill and courage. And I just have to tell you that beyond all the cool pictures, there were two guys that were not very skilled and not very courageous. But we did it. And what you didn't see in the pictures, or most of the pictures, was a key part of how we did it. A key part in how we did it was this guy. That's Doyi. Everyone say Doyi. Doyi. That's not his, his birth name. His birth name is Gilliam Jackson. But Doyi is his, his uh, he's a, a Native American um, uh, Cherokee. And that's, that's his, his tribal name. And it means outsider. It describes what he's all into. Because his whole life he's been into the outside. Uh, out to the, into, into nature. And uh, basically um, just to, to hike. And since he's retired, he just hikes and hikes and climbs mountains and hikes. That's all that he does. And, and he's a believer. We got a chance to get to know him a little bit as a believer. Doyi was the reason why we were able to get to the top. Because two guys that go over there going from, well, for me, going from Illinois elevation to 14,000 feet something elevation, there's a big difference. There's a big difference in, in, see, in, in the, outside of all the beauty in the Rockies and everything, there's something Illinois has that the Rockies don't. Oxygen. <laughs> and we were, by the time we got up to the keyhole, which was this, where the technical stuff started getting more and more difficult and the, the path started getting more narrow, um, we were like just sucking wind and we were dying. And Do- it was right around there that Doyi said, hey, can I walk with you guys? 
like, sure. We get to know him. We find out that he's a believer. We're just talking and stuff. And like, we would take like five, six steps and then we would be winded. I mean, Josh and I, we're like, like, just like looking like we've been chain smoking for 30 years. We're just like, (gasps) how far did you go? Five steps. Me too. And it was just, it was, it was painful. Our our muscles were burning. And so Doe would say, hey, let's take a break. He wasn't winded at all. The 64-year-old wasn't winded at all. But he's like, oh, you two weaklings? Okay, sure. And so he sits down, and we're sitting down, and he would just share with us. Like, hey, he's like, uh, tell me about your guy's family. And tell me about, like, when did you guys become a, a follower of Jesus? And he just asking us questions. Just breathing with us. <laughs> giving us an opportunity to, to regain our footing and, and then continue on. And when we didn't know, when we couldn't see the route, like which route, because you're supposed to follow these little tiny like bullseyes that let you know the route. When we couldn't see the route, Doe, he would either be behind us or he'd be just ahead of us. And he would always be able to point out the right direction. And we're like, oh, it's so, thank you, Doe. And we just kept on going. And at points where like I would say, see way off in the distance, I was really, really sketchy about any clouds because the day before the park ranger said, listen, people die by falling off this cliff, but that's not what I'm worried about for you guys. I'm worried about you guys um, being struck by lightning. Because if you don't get up to the peak and down again in enough time, the storms come in at the same time, like, well, at right around 12.30 to 2.30 every day. And that storm is looking for, for lightning rods. You will be the lightning rods. Most people die from being struck by lightning. And so you need to be careful about clouds and things of that nature. And so I'm seeing clouds off in the distance. I'm like, I don't know. The guy said that only a third of the people that attempt this actually do it. So maybe this is a good sign that we just need to bail. And Doe just would look at me and he'd say, didn't you say you're a pastor? <laughs> Dude, have a little faith. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And I could trust him because this guy, I mean, he had been to this area enough to know what clouds were ominous and dangerous and what clouds were going to go right past us. And he was totally right. And he told me that he already talked to the Lord about giving a safe passage up, which was great. And then I said, did you, did you pray for the safe passage down? He's like, oh, no, I didn't. Like, <laughs> but Doe was the key. Doe was the one that throughout the whole way gave us the opportunity to keep on going and keep on going. And he stayed with us all the way to the top and all the way down. It was awesome. It was so cool. In the path that Jesus lays before each one of us, we have Jesus Christ who is with us. Now, Jesus Christ isn't the name that he was given at birth. Jesus was. Christ is his title. explains what he's passionate about, what he's all into. He is the chosen one, the Messiah. And he described his role to us as being the one who seeks and saves the lost. And when he gave his disciples this call on their life, he said this to them, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When you find things too difficult to obey, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. When when things are too precarious in your relationship to know how to get going, surely I'm with you always. When you don't know how to make things work right in your family because everything's breaking apart, surely I am with you always. This Jesus is not going to leave us on this path He's going to not only call us to it, but equip us for it. And I'm excited to see what happens as a result. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, you put a call out 2,000 years ago, and your people are still following it, failing it, forgetting about it. So Lord, we repent of being forgetful and, and flakes when it comes to our ultimate role in life to be followers and learners of you. Lord, I pray that you just tra- you continue to transform us. Lord, for those who are either far away from you or have no connection to you, I pray that, that you draw them near. Lord, for those who've been walking with you for a couple of years or more, 
Lord, I pray that the clearer of you we see of you in the next few weeks in church services and outside of church services, the more enamored that we are with this new affection of your glory and who you are, and that that will impact every fiber of our being. And we'll give you the thanks when we see that. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.